Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Dr. Kristen Neff from the University of Texas has pioneered research into self-compassion and author of her book titled Self-Compassion. Last year, Kristen was on the show talking about the keys to compassion. And today, Dr. Kristen Neff has returned to talk about the effects compassion can have on your life. Kristen, hello and welcome back. Ah, thank you so much. It's great to be back. I'm really looking forward to talking about this. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. I talk about your book all the time. I'm always referring them to your book because I think it's such an important practice in our lives since we didn't grow up knowing how to do this. Uh, Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Either we were told that uh, we're special and above average and we should be better than other people, which isn't self-compassionate, or we we are told that we shouldn't be too big for our britches and that self-criticism is a way to keep ourselves in line, which also is opposite to self-compassion. So we didn't really get many messages about the importance of being a good friend to ourselves. And, and I love that part about us being a good friend to ourselves, because if we can be a good friend to ourselves, that doesn't that help eliminate the neediness that we can do when we're trying to get other people to approve of us? Right, exactly. We're so dependent on other people liking us to feel good about ourselves. Um, and of course, a lot of people don't like us because they're trying to feel good about themselves. So <laughs> that's kind of a, a problem. And, and even in, uh, you know, romantic relationships or friendships, if we're dependent on other people to meet all our emotional needs, we often get upset when they aren't met, you know, exactly as we want them met, when we want them met. So self-compassion, if we can meet at least some of our own needs and nurture and support ourselves, we have more to give to others. So that's a really important comment that you just made because for the listeners out there who are, you know, looking for that loved one, maybe they're young and, and they, you know, are, are a young professional or maybe they're in the next age stage of their life and have gone through divorce and they're looking for somebody um, and they want to find somebody to kind of validate them and make them feel whole. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, well, um, the the problem with that is, uh, A, well, good luck finding that person who perfectly validates you, um, right? Everyone has their own issues going on, and, and typically they can't um, tell us exactly what we want to hear. And also, even more important is, even if they do, if we don't believe it, if we don't accept and love ourselves as we are, even if someone gives us that validation and support, we may just say, Oh, well, that he says that or she says that because they love me, but, you know, it's not really true. So at some level, we have to give that to ourselves first, even to be able to receive it from others. Ooh, so if we, if we don't believe it and give it to ourselves, is that, are you saying that's what gets in the way of being able to accept it? It, it can do, yeah, right. So the first problem is find someone who wants to give it to you. The second problem is be able to accept it and take it in if they do give it to you. Um, and it's uh it's really hard if we don't care for and accept ourselves we can't um yeah we can't really let it soak in fully feel our sense of worthiness and the fact that we deserve compassion um unless we give ourselves permission to feel that way and give that to ourselves so it really is the first step how does one get to the sense that they actually deserve compassion and not to beat themselves up. Right. And, and so I think part of this is cultural as well. Um, sometimes we feel like we do have to deserve compassion, that we have to earn compassion. Um, whereas I suppose, at least from my point of view, and I think a lot of people have this point of view in terms of thinking about others, the fact that you know we're an imperfect human being who struggles and we're trying the best we can, and we often fail and get it wrong and are inadequate in some ways because we're human, that just being a human being is what qualifies you 
uh, as a, you know, um, valid recipient of compassion. So um, from my point of view, we don't have to earn compassion other than um, suffering is our only requirement for compassion, and that's pretty easy to do. So, um, you know, you can say that all people deserve compassion, right, regardless. What do you mean that suffering is the only requirement to have compassion? (laughs) Well, you know, compassion by definition means concern with the alleviation of suffering, kind of extending care and tenderness. Um, when a sentient being is experiencing suffering. So really that's the only prerequisite for compassion is that suffering is occurring, either our own or that of someone else. And you might say the open heart naturally responds to suffering with a sense of compassion, care, and concern. So if you want to be open-hearted people living open-hearted lives, then you know, our heart will naturally respond to our own suffering or that of others without judgments about, you know, is this worthy, is this big enough suffering, is this important enough suffering. This is just what the heart does naturally in response to suffering. Ooh, so it, it's it's like what you talk about in your book, Self-Compassion. When you have that negative emotion, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be like a doorway into um, what's next, Or for this, having suffering, if you choose to use self-compassion, that can help guide you into that open-heartedness that you're talking about versus if you choose to beat yourself up, which can create a downward spiral. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things of what you just said, but, um, you know, let's take the example of when you've really failed or made a mistake. Um, if we can embrace that with kindness, accepting that while we are human, we do make mistakes and kind of comfort and soothe ourselves for how painful it is, what that actually does is give us the um, emotional space and perspective needed to see, well, what happened? You know, well, what went wrong? Is there anything maybe I can learn from this experience? Because, of course, if we look back on our lives, often the most powerful learning and growth experiences have been ones that were were very, very painful. Um, But if we just resist the fact um, that we do suffer, make mistakes and fail and beat ourselves up, then we're just stuck in that space of blaming ourselves. And we can't, there's really um, no mental or emotional space um, available to see the bigger picture and try to learn and grow from what's happened. So self-compassion really does give that space to... um, see the bigger picture, and then take more productive steps in the future. Oh, I love that. And so when we are seeking a mate or a relationship, maybe it's even a friendship, right? To, to, um, cause we want love and belonging. Isn't that essentially yeah. what most of us want? Yeah. The first step it sounds like to me is first to give yourself that love and belonging. Um, instead of thinking that one person is going to solve that hole or fill that hole that you have inside of you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because first of all, we are always there for ourselves 24-7. You know, what happens when you're at three in the morning and you're depressed because you just had a fight with your partner, right? You're Mm -hmm. the only one there who's available to give you that love and and sense of connection that you really need. Um, And again, as I mentioned before, if you don't give that to yourself, if you feel unworthy, if you feel, um, you know, fatally flawed, that even if you were to receive that from your partner, at some level you aren't going to see it as, um, you know, authentic. You aren't going to be able to take it in and experience their love and validation. So uh, we, we, we really have to give it to ourselves in order to be able to experience it fully, that sense of love and connection we, both, we all desperately want. Yeah. So, Kristen, what does that look like, giving ourselves that sense of love and belonging? Well, okay, so the three components of self-compassion which make it up are, uh, well, one is just being mindful when we're suffering, being aware that we're you know, going through a really tough time. We need that in order to be able to extend compassion to ourselves. If we just you know, don't even notice, we're so caught in trying to fix our problems, we can't pause to say, wow, you know, this is really hard. And then um, the second is responding to our suffering with kindness, care, and that, that's the love, like the love a, a good friend would show you. The love you show 
um, someone to someone else you really care about when they're suffering. So again, tenderness, empathy, um, understanding, support. But then the third component of self-compassion, which is so key, is what I call a sense of common humanity, and you might call it connectedness or belongingness. Um, often when we suffer, there's this irrational sense that something has gone wrong. You know, I'm not supposed to be suffering. This is abnormal. Everyone else in the world is leading these perfectly happy, normal lives. It's just me who's been dumped or who's lonely or failed miserably or something like that. And that sense of abnormality creates a very strong sense of loneliness and isolation, which makes things so much worse. But if we can remember that suffering, you know, imperfection, things going not the way we want them to, this is a human experience. Every other single person on this planet has this experience then every time you approach your suffering with an open heart, you actually can feel more connected to others, right? So we're, we're giving ourselves a sense of connection and belonging as well as love, and you might say presence, the ability just to be present, present with their own experience as it is. So w- when you say open heart, um, that that's what very, you're talking very unscientific term, by the way. <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> that is totally fine. My listeners are very happy to hear unscientific <laughs> terms. But so when you're talking about the open heart, that is when let's talk about I don't know if you can we can talk about Facebook. Um, last week, I had written uh, to my newsletter to my listeners about the compare and despair on Facebook and um, a couple of articles that I had come across recently. And sometimes you know, when you talk about this human experience, like I can go on and I can see somebody's highlight reel and think, well, my life or my holidays didn't look like this, right? Mm -hmm. And I know there was a study at Stanford that recently looked at, you know, people are actually unhappier looking through Facebook because it doesn't that maybe change that human experience of we think this is how it's supposed to be, but this is this is the misery I'm in versus when we understand that, okay, you know, yes, my husband and I got in a fight, but that doesn't mean our marriage is over because I know my friends have gone through this experience too. Right. I mean, the thing about this sense of common humanity is that certainly it's not the case that our experiences are this, exactly the same as others. Everyone has a completely unique life history, life story, but there is no life story that doesn't have both, you know, triumph and tragedy, good times and bad times. Um, you know, the extremity of that may differ, but the very nature of being a human means that we will have, again, successes, joys, uh, wondrous moments of love and connection, and also some really difficult moments as well. Um, you know, our, our society really encourages this, what you might call, um, comparing mind. Mm-hmm. You know, am I better than her? Am I happier than her? Is he more successful than me, more muscular than me? Whatever it happens to be. Um, when in fact, that mind causes so much suffering and we don't have to compare ourselves to others to have a sense of value or worthiness. We can really value all human experience with the inclination to alleviate suffering and engender happiness whenever we, wherever, wherever we can, um, including ourselves, not just others, but also ourselves. Um, so, you know, you could look through Facebook and see it as, wow, it's amazing how sometimes life brings us these wonderful moments and also remember that the really, um, you know, terrible fight that this couple had <laughs> probably isn't going to be on Facebook, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really the only life we have access to is our own. So spending our life trying to live the lives of others is not only very painful, it's kind of a waste of time, right? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, but our culture does encourage it because they want us to buy their products so we can live a good life just like the people in their advertisements. Yeah. So in some ways we have to make a stand against this, this cultural tendency to always feel we're not good enough compared to you know, other people. Well, I mean, that those are the messages we're constantly bombarded with, whether we're conscious about it or not. If if you buy this or if you do this, you're going to have this better life. And, exactly. you know, and that's, I guess, goes back to your point of being mindful, right? Isn't, isn't it about us checking in to even just seeing, like, am I living the life in line with the life that I want? Well, exactly. Well, and you know what's so funny is, so, let's say you do get that wonderful vacation to Jamaica or whatever it is. Oftentimes we might be there and just weren't happy because we're thinking about, 
you know, that issue that didn't get resolved when we were at work, and we can be in paradise, lost in our own negative thinking, and still not be happy. Um, you know, coming back to what you said before, Corinne, I think that's such a good point. What do we really want? Well, I think what we really want is presence, to be fully um, present with our life, not just, you know, lost in la-la land of our thoughts. We want to feel love, tenderness, and we want to feel connection. So if we give ourselves compassion, we're actually providing ourselves with loving, connected presence, even in the face of some quite difficult suffering. Mm -hmm. So we can give ourselves what we really need, what we deeply need to be fulfilled and happy, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether or not times are good or bad. Um, If they're dependent on circumstances, well, occasionally we'll get lucky and things will work out, but more often than not, you know, they don't work out the way we want them to. So um, as the British say, it's a losing wicket. So, Kristen, is it when we can give ourselves love and compassion, is that more, um, I I don't know if I want to say the word substantial, or does that like have more like where it can really help us fill our own holes versus when we're trying to chase it from somebody else, whether it's a partner or a thing that we may try to purchase or an experience? Yes, well, as as I said before, I think it's almost um, a prerequisite because even if we do get that hole filled by someone else, not only is it unstable because it may get taken away, but I find oftentimes people don't really believe it. They don't let themselves be filled because there's such deep-seated insecurity that I don't deserve this, I'm not worthy. So um, those holes, we, we really do need to learn how to fulfill, fill them ourselves um, and of course, when we do, it's much more stable and long lasting. And, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, we have to believe it ourselves in order for it to give us the fulfillment we're, we're seeking. Um, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And, and the other thing I guess is that, um, if you can give yourself that love and connection and that compassion mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. other people or experiences or job situation, if they leave, you still mm-hmm. have kind of a strong foundation so that you're not left totally empty. That's right. Yeah. Self-compassion um, and the research supports this is an incredibly powerful coping mechanism because it gives you the emotional resources you need to cope with difficult situations, disappointments, failures, rejections, etc. Um, and it also appears that, um, for instance, we did one study of you know, couples, romantic couples, and those people who are more self-compassionate, um, their partners were much more happy in the relationship. They said that their you know, partners who were self-compassionate were more kind, caring, giving, less controlling, less verbally aggressive. So the more emotional resources we have, the more we have to give to others, which means the happier they'll be and the more they'll be able to give to us. And uh, it's really, it creates this upward spiral of give-give relationships as opposed to not enough, not enough <laughs> relationships. Um, so it's it's good for one directly, and it's also good for, um, you know, strengthening relationships so that you also get more from your partner. And that, isn't that an, the opposite of what we think would happen? If that, if we're compassionate, that means, because sometimes don't people think that compassionate means that you need to be selfish. Right, right. Yeah. So what compassion involves, self-compassion, well, really in compassion in general, it means that all human beings who are struggling or having difficulty, and by the way, we're using the word compassion, but the flip side of that might be something like loving kindness, which also talks about good times and, you know, good moments and strengths. So we're really just talking about the open heart, which when it means suffering manifests as compassion. Um, but that, oh shoot, I lost my point. <laughs> You're talking about uh, self-compassion is all human beings who are struggling. And and I had talked about self-compassion, how some people can think of, well, if I can't, I can't be oh, compassionate, yes, yes. be that selfish. It's, that it's selfish, right? Yeah. Sorry. So the idea is um, when we criticize ourselves and feel we need to be kind and giving and supportive to others, we are actually separating ourselves from others. Um, we're being more self-focused because we're, we're, we're saying, you know, I'm somehow a special case, I'm a unique case, I'm treating myself differently. And of course, when we're self-criticizing, 
we aren't thinking much at all about other people. We're just thinking about how, you know, lame and, and inadequate, you know, and what a loser I am, right? Mm-hmm. But when we basically have this more connective view, we aren't separating ourselves from others. We're saying, oh, suffering is worthy of a compassionate response. Then um, it's not selfish. It's kind of more selfless because we aren't, again, we're seeing ourselves as being more connected to others and, and uh, worthy of the same treatment. And just in terms of, you know, pragmatically, again, for instance, we did one study that showed that self-compassionate people are much more likely to compromise when they have a relationship conflict. They don't subordinate their own needs to those of other people, nor do they prioritize their own needs. It's really about everyone is worthy of a kind-hearted, compassionate response. Not, me not more than you, but also me not less than you. And from my point of view, that's ultimately what it means when we aren't selfish, selfish when we're selfless, mm-hmm. because we're just saying every, you know, everyone is included in this circle of love and compassion. And then the spillover is, is that your partner is happier when you're self-compassionate versus when you're self-critical of yourself. Well, exactly, because when I'm self-compassionate, I'm meeting a lot of my own needs. I'm not totally dependent on my partner to, again, meet my needs exactly as and when I want them met. And therefore, I do have more emotional resources to give to my partner. I'm not needy. I'm not dependent. I get less angry all the time when I don't get exactly what I want. Um, so uh, by, you know, by filling up our own cup, we're able to have that um, to give to others. Uh, when we're self-critical, it drains us. It puts us in a negative mindset state. Our, our focus gets very narrow. We can only look at the problems. We can't see opportunities, possibilities, other ways of approaching situations. So self-criticism is not only painful for ourselves, but it's painful for those around us. It doesn't help anybody. And and when we're self-critical, aren't we also tend to see the world that way and then we can be self-critical with our partners? Or more critical. critical. Yeah, critical, critical of, of our partners. partners. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, it's definitely the case that one, as we all know from personal experience, when we're in a really negative mind state, it tends to color everything we see with that negativity. And we're just focused on the problems and none of the none of the positive things which are always there in our lives. So absolutely, if we're self-critical, um, we're going to... So for instance, um, we know that the more self-compassionate you are, um, you, you have a less of a tendency to get angry at other people. Right? And anger is often kind of an, an outward expression of the pain we feel from our anger towards ourselves. Um, not to mention, here's another way this works. This is kind of interesting. You know, we all have this, these mirror neuron systems where we're constantly impacting each other's emotions. If I see you, my, my, my brain registers your emotions. If you're feeling pain, my brain feels pain. If you're feeling happy, my brain registers happiness. This is, um, you know, really all mammals, and especially humans, have this capacity. So if I'm angry and pissed off and depressed with myself, you're picking up on that and you're feeling that. If I'm peaceful and feeling loving and connected, you're also picking up on that and feeling that. So that's another way that our own mindset and emotional um, state directly impacts others. So the more I give to myself, the more you can share in that sense of goodwill and peacefulness and love and acceptance and it benefits you too. So I think that can be really helpful for the listeners who really struggle with, oh, if I do this and I'm going to be selfish, actually, if you're compassionate with yourself, you can help people in a positive way because you're just more pleasant to be around. And as you're talking about with the mirror neurons as well. Right. You're more pleasant to be around. You have more emotional resources to give. You have more um, perspective to think about creative solutions to problems that may come up. Um, you're less self-focused because, again, as I said, when you're really self-critical, you're incredibly self-focused because that's all you can think of is I'm so bad, I'm so worthless, I'm so horrible, as opposed to saying, well, I'm human, I'm trying the best I can, I'll give myself some support, and then you can move on, right? So um, it's a shame our culture teaches us that it's selfish to be self-compassionate um, because, again, the research shows just the opposite. For instance, caregivers, caregivers who are self-compassionate are much less likely to suffer burnout, they're much like, more likely to be satisfied with their caregiving role because they're nourishing themselves as they're helping others. 
So it enhances our ability to give. It doesn't take away at all. Wow. It's, it's, it's so contrary, I think, to what, you know, our culture has taught us. Um, Mm. Because really what you're saying is that compassionate people have boundaries. Well, you do have boundaries because if, remember, if you include yourself in the circle of compassion and you say, I, you know, I want to alleviate suffering, I want to engender happiness and well-being in the lives of all people, then if someone is um, treating you unfairly or if you're being taxed way beyond your ability to cope, compassion says, you know, no. Compassion could even be fierce sometimes and, and say, Suffering is occurring. We need to change things. You know, it's, uh, suffering is um, something to be alleviated, not something just to be passively accepted. So self-compassion can have boundaries, but in a way that doesn't demonize other people either, right? Maybe you're asking too much of me. Maybe I need to say, no, I can't do that. But it doesn't mean because you're a bad person, right? Mm-hmm. It says my needs are important, your needs are important. Well, how can we come up to, with a compromise solution that maximizes both our ability to meet our needs? Um, and again, that means that I don't resent you. I don't, you know, resent my situation and we can just both move forward. And then what about, you'd said this earlier, people who may think, well, I'm really special. Yes. Does that trigger self-criticism or is that okay for self-compassion how does that work (laughs) well like i say we we do we have this very strange relationship with ourselves and that we're very self-critical and yet americans have the highest levels of self-esteem in the world right Mm -hmm. Um, and also some of the highest levels of narcissism in the world so we at the one hand want to feel we're special and above average we actually do feel we're special and above average at the exact same time that we feel we're inadequate and not enough. <laughs> wow. We, we, got some, we got some issues, all right? And I think all of us can check in with that. I mean, if I said, you know, Corin, yeah, your, your radio show, it's average. You'd be devastated, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be devastated if you said my book was average. This is very human. We don't have to judge ourselves for this. But this, this, the fact that we have to, um, we have to be above average and special just for baseline feeling okay about ourselves is a problem because it's logically impossible for us all to be above average at the same time, right? So the self-esteem game really is a treadmill we can't get off because we have to feel we're better than others. Um, We only have self-esteem when we succeed. It deserts us when we fail. So given the reality that we are imperfect human beings who will fail and the reality that there's always going to be someone doing it better. You may be a top model and the newer, younger, thinner, bustier model comes on the scene and you feel inadequate, right? Mm -hmm. So with self-compassion, we throw out this need to judge ourselves positively and we place it with the, you know, tendency to, or um, the ability to relate to ourselves kindly. And we can always relate to ourselves kindly, no matter what other people are doing, no matter if we succeed or, or we fail. So it's a much healthier way to feel good about ourselves. So, yeah, you might feel special, and that's great, remembering that all people are special in their own way. But self-compassion isn't contingent on being more special than others or being better than others, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The fact is you're you're a human being, and that's the only requirement (laughs) to to, um, have, to have this warm, compassionate care and response. So as you're talking, um, I have a personal belief that everybody has a story and everybody's story matters. Now, with that, I'll put a disclaimer is that I may not be as interested in some people's stories as others, but that doesn't mean the story is less important. It's just um, what based on kind of, you know, my understanding or my needs. And is that is that kind of what you're talking about when we talk when we can look at ourselves as, you know, every of course, everybody is special. Right. And exactly. Exactly. In that sense, everyone has their unique story. Everyone mm-hmm. has their unique contribution to make. Um, we don't have to judge it as better or worse or bigger or smaller. You know, the fact is we're all part of the whole. So, um, you know, we, we are special, but that special doesn't have to be more special than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we start going down that route, one of the things that happens 
if we start feeling disconnected from others in this constant process of social comparison, and that sense of disconnection is really painful. Well, and if you want to just look at our world today, and you can see quite clearly what the sense of disconnection, not only from each other, but to the earth, all the incredible problems it's causing. So, um, you know, we want to foster connectedness wherever we can. So it's about realizing that we're all special, and that and like in, in, well in that work sorry that just it just still sounds cute we're all special we're, we're all special and and when you know we're talking about finding love and connection whether it's yes. with a partner or a friendship if there's not a if there is not a connection with a particular person it doesn't mean that you're not special or not worthy it just may not be a right fit for the two of you exactly 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 that's right I mean um, how many in your own experience or people you know have found one relationship failed miserably and then they, you know, meet with someone else where there's a better match and you're kind of incredibly happy. Um, so it is, it is about finding our own place in the world and being authentic. And the only way we can authentically find our own place in the world that makes us happy is if we accept ourselves as we are and more than that, if we nurture ourselves so that we can grow and develop into our best selves, you know, to kind of thrive and to prosper, so to speak. And self-criticism does exactly the opposite. Self-criticism just pulls the rug out underneath ourselves so we can't become our best selves. Um, but if we give ourselves the support and love we need, then we're going to maximize our chances of, again, finding finding our place, finding our partner, finding our our, you know, life calling, our work, um, that is, uh, kind of, you know, I feel like I should sing a song, be all that you can be, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at the risk of sounding so cheesy, yeah, be all that you can be with self-compassion. You don't need the army, right? <laughs> so what are ways that you mean to that, to nurture ourselves? Ah, well, the nice thing is, is people know how to do this. Most people know how to do this. Most people have, have really learned how to be a good friend, maybe how to be a good parent, how to be a good partner. I mean, not perfect by any means, but we know what to say when someone's hurting, feeling bad, feeling insecure. We know how to maybe put our arm around someone or hold their hand in a way that really communicates, I care about you and you know, I'm sorry you're suffering. Is there anything I can do to help you? Um, so we just need to give ourselves permission to treat ourselves the same way, to use kind, supportive, caring language uh, instead of the language which, you know, if you treated your friends, if you said the same things to your friends that you say to yourself, you would have no friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they would be gone very quickly. So really learning to use the language with yourself that you do use towards friends you care about. Um, there's a lot of like really practical things. Um, I, I talk about this a lot because it seems so simple and yet it makes a lot of sense. Um, using a soothing touch with yourself, maybe putting your hands on your heart or kind of gently squeezing your shoulder, whatever is a gesture that feels supportive to you. Because um, all mammals, all mammals respond to um, warmth, physical warmth, gentle touch, and kind of soothing vocalization sounds like, oh, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> even even the animals do. By um, feeling safe, relaxed, and calm. We feel less stressed. We feel like we belong. Um, this is part of the mammalian caregiving system or attachment system. And the body responds the same way, whether we're getting that from another person or we're giving it to ourselves. So a very practical, quick and easy way to give yourself compassion is to do something like put both hands on your heart. Um, your body responds almost immediately, releases oxytocin and opiates, calms down, and that can actually often open the way for our minds to then follow and say, well, okay, maybe I can speak to myself in a slightly kinder, more supportive way. Okay. Um, don't, don't knock the self-hugs. I know it's easy to make fun of, but there's, there's science to support the fact that uh, our brains work better, our emotions are, um, are, are more positive in that physical, um, warm, connected type of contact. So. 
Well, and I think the nice thing about this is that if somebody is feeling lonely, right, and they just feel like maybe they don't have people that they can mm. reach out to when they realize that they can nurture themselves. And and that sounds to be very empowering. Yes, absolutely. And, and but, by the way, it's not like I'm saying we don't need other people that we become these automatons, these mm-hmm. self-compassion automatons. Of course not. We're human beings and we do need other people. But we don't have to be, you know, 100% completely reliant on other people, especially since, you know, they might be there for us. If we're lucky enough to have people who are good supportive people in our lives, they can't be there all the time in exactly the way we want. So it's really, um, you know, we are the only people who are around 24-7 um, to be good friends to ourselves. And if we can learn this skill and practice the skill of being a good friend to ourselves, it's an amazing source of support, um, regardless of whether or not other people happen to be there. And then when they are, we have more emotional resources to also support them and have a form a closer connection. So there's really, um, there's no downsides, and research hasn't identified any downsides to being self-compassionate. Um, being self-critical has a huge number of downsides. Uh, so it's not us giving it to ourselves instead of getting it from other people. It's yes and, and, you know, they mutually enhance each other. Well, and that, thank you for pointing out, because that's really important. You can give it to yourself. And then also we want, we like we talked about, we want love and connection and who are other people. Yeah. But when you can give it to yourself, you're able to actually receive it from others. That's right. Receive it from others and give it to others because mm-hmm. you have more, you know, your cup is more full. Um and then what about that piece of when people can be that great friend for somebody else or the spouse or, you know, parent, mm-hmm. but they can't do it for themselves. And then they get really upset with themselves that why am I so compassionate for others, but not for myself? What do you have to say to that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think um, we should really be have self-compassion for everything about ourselves that maybe we wish were different, including the fact we're self-critical. I mean, we don't want to beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up, right? <laughs> um, which, which well, hey, listen, when people start learning about self-compassion, then they say, I feel worse about myself because not only am I horrible and inadequate, I'm also not compassionate, right? So really understanding that um, the, reason, the reasons we aren't more self-compassionate are many. Some are definitely cultural. Our, our, our culture doesn't um, promote it. In places like Thailand, for instance, people are more self-compassionate because the culture emphasizes that more. It does that in American culture. But also it's very important to remember our brains have a negativity bias. Our brains are designed for survival, not for happiness, which means mm-hmm. our brains are constantly looking for problems to fix. Right? And those brains that did that in the past were more likely to survive and pass on their genes. So it's very natural that our brains, in order to you know, feel that we want to survive, are, we're looking for problems in ourselves so that we can fix. Mm-hmm. What our brains do, we don't have to judge ourselves for the pattern, but we do have to say, hey, you know, given that I'm not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger at this moment... <laughs> You know, maybe I can can choose to not just focus on problems in myself and actually focus on some of the, the strong points I have. Or help me with my problems in a constructive, kind, supportive way as opposed to just attacking myself, attacking the problem. Um, but so, I mean, the bottom line is our brains are designed to do this. Our culture tells us to be this way. We don't have to judge ourselves for it. You know, it's not our fault, but in a way it is our responsibility and that no one else is going to make that shift for us. We have to decide, hey, I'm going to choose another way. This isn't working for me. It's not helping me be a you know, good friend to others. I'm going to just try to shift the way I relate to myself. And it is possible. It's absolutely possible. It's actually not as hard as you think. You just have to really, the first step is giving yourself permission to do it. Ooh, give yourself permission. Well, and so it, so for the listeners out there who may be listening to this and going, well, I'm not compassionate, instead of beating themselves up, they can look at that of, oh, right, I'm not in line with who I want to be or even the skill sets that I have. Right. Um, now I can, this is a great opportunity for me to practice compassion with myself. That's right, exactly. Compassion for the pain that we've caused ourselves through our lack of compassion, through our self-criticism. 
Right. So the, the thing is, if someone said self-compassion is the new black. It goes with everything, right? <laughs> no matter what form, flavor, you know, variety of suffering or difficulty um, we're experiencing, we can always give that self-compassion. Um, and I actually do that in my workshops, for instance. I have people get familiar with their inner critic, first have compassion for the pain they've suffered at the hands of the inner critic, but then to give compassion for the inner critic itself, which is usually trying to help you in a tantrumy, tantrumy, ineffective two-year-old way, mm-hmm. but it's really trying to keep you safe in some ways, trying to point out like, hey, this is a problem, you need to pay attention. So we can have compassion for our inner critic, for the fact that it's trying to help us, even though it's doing it in an ineffective way. And so by having compassion for all parts of ourselves, including our inner critic, then we can start to accept ourselves and you know, embrace ourselves as we are and, and uh, eventually nourish our best self to, to grow and develop. And, and so that I think about like with negative emotions, sometimes, you know, we're in this pursuit of happiness, right? We want to be happy and not have problems. But if we can look yeah. at like negative emotions um, as like, again, once again, like the doorway to practicing compassion with ourselves or practicing or paying attention to, okay, I have this negative emotion, I'm feeling sad, or I'm feeling angry. And maybe asking ourselves, what is this here to teach me? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, yes, um, absolutely. The the research shows it's really quite amazing that self-compassion has an equally strong ability to reduce negative emotions at the same time that it increases positive emotions. So what happens with compassion is when we are having a negative emotion, let's say anxiety or sadness, we embrace that with compassion, with the sense of, again, loving, connected presence is another way of really saying what self-compassion is. So at the same time that we're helping to soothe, alleviate, calm the negative emotion, we're also generating this very positive emotion of loving, connected presence, which is deeply satisfying to us as as human beings. So it doesn't, you know, seek happiness at the expense of negative emotions in terms of trying to sweep them under the rug or getting rid of them, which of course never works. It just makes it worse. It actually says, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Wow, this is really hard right now. Can I give myself some tenderness and understanding in this difficult moment? And by doing that, we're feeling loved and connected in the midst of the suffering. And uh, the suffering does tend to, may not go away, it may never go away, but it becomes bearable. It often does lessen at the same time that we are generating this positive emotion. So it's not sugarcoating, it's not positive thinking, it's turning toward what is with an open heart, and our, an open heart feels good. And so I liked how you talked about the suffering may not go away. It may reduce some of it, it may help it, but yeah. it may not go away. And um, and when someone... Actually, I got to say, it will not. No one will become a perfect human being. <laughs> you can count on that one. You can go ahead and put your invest your money in that one. It will. It certainly will never completely go away. It, and but the self compassion helps us get through those those hard times. That's what you're saying. Exactly. It really does. Well, just you know, to give a personal example, um, I think I may have talked to you about this last time. Um, one of the other things you might say I'm well, known for is, uh, um, you know, my son's autistic. We, mm-hmm. we, my husband wrote a book called The Horse Boy about him. We made a film about going to Mongolia to help find healing for him, um, consulting with shamans. <laughs> it's quite a journey. Um, but over and over again in my, in my own life, in my own experience, I saw how, you know, not only did self-compassion help me cope with the difficulties of being an autism parent, when he was young, you would tantrum a lot. There's all the uncertainty about how to treat it. You know, it's, it's just a very a very difficult experience to have. So it helped me cope. It gave me the emotional resources to cope. But it really did more than that. Um, it allowed me to turn toward my son, to embrace him exactly as he was, to kind of let go of these expectations of what was supposed to be, and really embrace and love uh, what is. And I can tell you that I am a, a happier, more fulfilled, 
more mature, more loving person because of the experience of um, having an autistic child than I would have been otherwise. Um, and it also helped me feel much more connected to other people going through struggles. You know, even sometimes I start to go down the path of self-pity. You know, those other mothers on the playground, they don't have an autistic child. But then I'd, I'd remember, but wait a second. All mothers struggle in some way or another with their kids. This is the experience of motherhood, struggling, you know, with the experience of your children and, and being afraid and having disappointments, et cetera, et cetera. And then in that moment, I can feel more connected to other people as opposed to isolated. So, I mean, I suppose one way to say this is, yes, I do research on self-compassion, but the main reason I know it works is because I've seen it time and time again in my own life, really transform suffering into an opportunity of, again, open-heartedness and connection. Do you you find that, um, is self-compassion available for everybody? Well, you have to be a mammal, not a reptile. (laughs) But if you're a mammal and you have a mammalian caregiving system, in addition to the reptilian threat defense system, Yes, it's, it's definitely possible. No, I say that jokingly, but, you know, um, there are therapies now like compassion-focused therapy developed by Paul Gilbert that is designed specifically for people, you know, people with some really serious mental health issues, maybe a trauma history, abuse history in childhood, or some other serious mental health problems for whom self-compassion is difficult. I'm not going to say it's, you know... Um, as easy for anyone to develop as another, depending on your history, how you're raised, even the way how your brain is wired. It may be more challenging, but if if you go slow, if you're patient, um, the skills definitely can be developed. It just again, it just may take a little more persistence and, and patience. Um, but it is available to everyone, except I think lizards. So, <laughs> so why do you say go <laughs> slow and have patience? Well, um, okay, so here's an example. Some people, especially if they've had to close their hearts for really good reasons, maybe to protect themselves from people who are uh, maybe should have been loving and supportive but weren't, were um, harmful or scary in some ways, then when you first start opening your heart to yourself, it can be a little scary and it can be difficult. There's a good reason your heart shut down. But when you uh, finally decide that you don't want to live with a shutdown heart anymore, when you first start opening your heart, sometimes, you know, when you give yourself love, you remember all the conditions under which you were unloved. And that just just knowing that that's normal, that this is, many people can be a very radical shift. And there's even a term we have for this called backdraft, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a firefighting term. Sometimes if there's a fire and you let oxygen in by opening the door, actually the flames rush out. But sometimes when we let love into our hearts for ourselves, some, some, the difficulty, the pain that we've been trying to protect with a closed heart also comes out. So that's where we need the patience. That's where we need to go slow. We don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to rip open the door of our heart so quickly that we, we get overwhelmed with all the suffering that we've been holding in inside. Um, but with patience and with time and especially, you know, I would say for people who do have early childhood histories where there was a lot of pain and suffering and harm that best to go down the path of self-compassion with the help of therapists, um, because it can be challenging, but we also know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that this, this is the path of healing, you know, letting out that pain is the way that pain finally heals, but it's not a quick fix. Right? It's not. It's not sugarcoating. It's opening to what is. Sometimes what is 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 pretty painful, um, but everything can be held in love. It it sounds like that allowing what you can handle instead of thinking that well I should be able to handle it much faster than this because I want to have this outcome you know quicker but that may actually tumble you down, but being really mindful and checking in about how much you can personally handle in this moment. And maybe tomorrow or next week, it may be different, but today this is what you're capable of. And it sounds like yes. th- that's the, the practice to, uh, to do. Yes, absolutely. Um, in other words, self-compassion is saying, well, what do I need right now? And can I give it to myself? 
And sometimes what you need is to go slowly, or maybe this is too big of an issue to to try to deal with right now. Maybe maybe sometimes you need to just pet your cat and have a cup of tea, right? If, if that's done with the intention to care for yourself because it's what you need because you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed, then that can be an act of compassion. So we don't want to um, feel that we should have to be compassionate, that, you know, uh, Again, I'm that I'm I'm screwed up because I'm not self-compassionate. <laughs> there, there are good reasons we are we are as we are. Like we've been shaped by so many causes and conditions, um, and so we want to go silly. But also that point you made is so important: the mindfulness. Um, there's a, there's a, a slogan we have in our self-compassion training program, which is we give ourselves compassion not to feel better, but because we feel bad. And this is very important. If you give yourself compassion to try to make the pain go away, like, you know, the quick fix, the sugar coating, then what you're doing is you aren't really opening to your pain. You're just trying to resist it, to sweep it under the rug, and it actually won't go away. What we know is that if you resist pain, painful thoughts, painful emotions, it actually strengthens them, and it actually um, means that they persist over time. They can't kind of do their natural course and uh, dissipate over time like they normally would. So we don't give ourselves compassion because, um, you know, to somehow be happy all of a sudden. We give ourselves compassion because we feel bad. We hold that pain, that emotional pain, in the warm embrace of compassion. And then that gives us gives ourselves a sense of safety and support. We need to not only cope with the pain, but provide the you know, kind of optimal emotional environment and psychological environment for that pain to heal on its own. So it's a, it's a little bit paradoxical because we want to alleviate our own suffering. The only way we can do that is by acknowledging that we are suffering and because we're suffering, being very, very kind to ourselves and then letting nature take its course, really. And I want to wrap up with, because sometimes others want to take away our pain, right? Yes. And, but isn't it about how can we just hold a compassionate space for them as maybe they are going through the pain and they're processing it. So it's not about taking away the pain, but Absolutely. It's letting them process it, yeah. isn't it? Right. It's both for ourselves and others. And we've all had, had this experience where we tell someone something very difficult we're facing and they immediately try to fix it and give advice and it doesn't feel good at all, right? It just mm -hmm. makes you feel worse, you typically. Often what we want is, again, this sense of loving, connected presence. We want to give that to ourselves, not trying to make our pain go away, but just hold our pain and loving, connected presence. And we want to give that gift to others as well. Um, it's, there's really, how do I put this? There's kind of a sense of trust involved with self-compassion, trusting that, um, well, first recognizing I can't control things. You know, I can do my best, but I can't control things. But if I do hold whatever's happening, happening with, with presence, with acceptance, with open-heartedness, with the sense of universal connection, then you're, you're kind of trusting life to heal. It's, it's, like, it's almost like you're, instead of forcing that plant to grow, you're giving it the sunshine and the water and the fertile soil for it to grow. Mm -hmm. But if you try to like stretch the plant with your hands, you're just going to break <laughs> it and kill it, you know? Well, it's kind of a, I don't know how clever an analogy it, it is, but it works hopefully. And, and isn't that why like part of the struggle of having a, a child that has autism is that sense mm -hmm. of uncertainty, right? There's a different path than or a different dream yeah. than what you had dreamed and that sense of uncertainty. And now you get really challenged with, can I have trust in this? Yes, exactly. I mean, I've seen that so many times. If I can just accept him, trust him, follow his lead, see where he wants to go. I mean, he is just such an amazing child. Um, and I could go into a whole other interview about this, but our lives are so amazing in terms of um, what we do. We work with horses and autistic kids and we travel around the world. And it's, it's, it's turned into this huge blessing in our lives that I could have never predicted and I never would have um, you know even know that it was possible that things could turn out the way they are so yes it's it's, it's trusting uh, you know we do make effort and self-compassion isn't passive we do what we can without needing to control things without needing things to be exactly as we want them to be 
And again, that, that provides that open-hearted, centered presence that maximizes the chance that we can respond to things in a very, you know, more fruitful, productive way. Um, it is hard to give up control, though, and we can give ourselves compassion for the need for control because that's also very human. I love how you say that self-compassion isn't passive. And I think that's a really important takeaway for the listeners to realize that it isn't passive. Um, Yes, it's the line between being, it's not passive, but it's not controlling either, right? mm -hmm, It's kind of actively trying your best, recognizing that you can't totally control things, but you will do your best because you care. Just think of a compassionate mother. A compassionate mother knows she can't make her life, her child's life perfect. She can't make her child perfect. Um, but she's not passive. She's going to do what she can to help her child learn, grow, to nurture that child because she cares. And the motivational force of compassion is that much more powerful than the motivational force of self-criticism, which just, you know, kind of undermines us and causes us to lose faith in ourselves, um, to give up when we fail. Uh, so self-compassion is a motivating force, but the motivation comes from love and not from fear that we aren't good enough. Wow. Do you have a couple of takeaways for people to practice self-compassion? Uh, uh, yeah. So again, I, I'm going to just repeat the trying to find some physical gesture that feels comforting and soothing, hands on heart or some people like to cradle their cheeks. And you can do this in private. You don't have to feel self-conscious. But sometimes our our heads can't go there. They're too full of the storyline of the failure, the situation, or inadequacy. We can start by giving ourselves physical compassion, and then often mental and emotional compassion can more easily follow. So that's one. And then the other one is really um, thinking when you're going through a hard time or you're feeling bad about yourself. Just imagine that a very dear friend or maybe a dear child was going through the exact same situation and think, what would I say to this loved one? And then see if you can actually try saying that to yourself, maybe even writing it down, writing down those words to yourself. Um, So in other words, drawing on the resources you already have, which is to be a kind and caring person towards others, and then kind of, you know, springboarding on that and applying that that same um, skill towards yourself. Okay. Oh, by the way, on a very concrete level, if people Google self-compassion, my website comes up, selfcompassion.org. I've got meditations, exercises, videos, um, the research is on there. Uh, so that's another <laughs> very concrete way people can get a little more uh, information. I've tried to make it a free resource as much as I can to help people. So. Well, and I will have links on your interview page and I have a little funny story. So this week I was uh, on your website and I took the self-compassion test and and, and I I practiced it quite a bit. But as I was taking the test, I was judging myself. Well, this isn't, you know, because a lot of times I I can't remember the one, but I was picking the middle one a lot of times. I'm like, gosh, I thought I was more self-compassion. I thought I was more self. So I was judging myself on how compassionate I was. Yeah. And I I thought that was pretty funny. And then in the end, the test, my test score did show that I was, I had compassion. So it was pretty, I thought it was pretty funny. And so more, more practice for me for towards (laughs) self-compassion. Yeah. But again, that's just our mind, isn't it? Our mind, um, uh, yeah, our mind just does that. So we don't, in the way, we don't have to take it too seriously. I'm glad you found it amusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Kristen. Uh, uh, well, thank you. It's been a it's been a really fun interview. So thank you. This is Kent Motokitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff, and her book is called Self Compassion. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at How She Really Does It. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that 
the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.